0: If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we've been studying our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesian church for six months now, and we're coming down the stretch, and it's important for us to, to not lose sight of where we began back in January. I love to backpack, and throughout the years, my son and I have done some backpacking in the Grand Canyon and we've been on some major trails but we've also been on some very on some remote trails and one of the cardinal rules of backpacking of hiking is to always check your back trail and always when you're walking forward the tendency is just to keep going forward and you see what you want to see down the trail but a lot of folks don't look behind them because the trail behind looks different coming back. And if you don't know what you're looking at, most people, when they get lost hiking, they get lost on the way back, not on the way there. Because they, lose, they don't understand what their back trail looks like, and so they end up taking a different route. So on occasion, it's good to check your back trail to say, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. So when you're coming back, something is recognizable. And it's important in the same way for us to check our back trail with Ephesians of what this letter to Ephesians, the Ephesian church, is all about. Because in Ephesians, God tells us who he is and what he's like. It is about God. It is about Christ and his church. That's what this wonderful book is about. It's not just a collection of rules in 155 verses. It's not a story. Paul writes to us both in the first and second person, and he's I and you and me and we. Ephesians is just practical theology. Theology is the study of God. It's the practical study of God, of who God is and who we are in Christ. It's faith alive. It's life walked out in full view of the gospel. It's ministry in action. And from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6, as we'll get to in a few weeks, Paul is just expounding on Christ and the church. Who the church is. Who we are individually in Christ and who the church is and what the church has been called and tasked and empowered to do we must on occasion check our back trail and look and see what's behind us what we've learned because outside of Christ life outside of Christ life is a place it's a black hole of sin and misery and that's who we once were and with Christ it's been a pit we've been removed from and that's what Paul reminds us of Ephesians 2, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were made alive in Christ. And these verses are meant to keep us, especially these verses that we've been studying in chapter 5, are meant to keep us from returning to that place of misery, to guard us, to protect us, to teach us how to walk as believers, in chapter two, Paul tells us to walk in the good works God has prepared for us. In chapter four, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. In chapter four, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Five two, walk in the love as Christ has loved us. Five eight, walk as children of light. And in chapter five this morning, as we read in verse fifteen, follow along with me as Paul writes. addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ father we we ask you once again to give us the Insight and discernment to understand your speaking to us in these written words. Father, help us each to grab hold of truth this morning that we could become more like Christ. Father, by your Spirit, Begin a work in us, we pray this morning. And Father, help me once again in my weaknesses to serve these dear friends through the preaching of your word. May they hear the voice of God this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, because Christ has transformed us, we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's Paul's admonition throughout the book of Ephesians. Because Christ has transformed you, you can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You are no longer bound to your old way of life. You're no longer bound to the things that enslaved you. You're no longer tied to what cause the misery and pain in your life but you can because of christ because of the indwelling spirit of god in you you can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and paul just expands upon that in this chapter in this verse 15 look carefully then how you walk so, not only can you walk but but there is a, a place where you have to guard carefully. Remember last week we talked about proverbs four twenty three when Paul was admonishing us. He was pleading with us not to return to the old way of life. Pleading with these these Ephesians not to return to the sexual immorality that was so prevalent. And the impurity that was so prevalent. And the filthiness and the foolish talk. Paul was saying, no, no, guard your life. And and the writer of Proverbs in chapter 4 tells us to, above all else, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. And here Paul is just continuing to encourage us, to plead with us, to admonish us. Look carefully then how you are to walk. And two ways I think he wants us to grasp this morning that we're to walk. One is to walk carefully. That we're to walk very guardedly. And secondly, we're to walk Thankfully, a theme that you see in Paul's letters time and time again. In everything, give thanks, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And again, here, as he did last week, he talked about giving thanks. Again, he talks about giving thanks here. We have been transformed by God's Spirit into the likeness of Christ so that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We can walk in a manner that keeps us from ministry, from misery, and lets us walk in ministry we have been transformed. So let's first look at verse 15 and 16 about walking carefully. And as you see in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, there really is here a study in contrast. Paul is saying, don't do this, but do this. And he does it three times in the first verse. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look carefully at how you walk. Don't walk unwisely. Wisdom is skillful living based on the path of life we choose. We must consider carefully the pathway we choose. I don't know if you remember Proverbs 9. It's a, it's a wonderful picture and a helpful picture and a very sobering picture of a young man who is walking in the city and there are two pathways before him and on one hill of the city is the woman called Wisdom. And she is... She is speaking to this young man. Come this way and find life. And on another hill is the woman folly. And it says that she is shouting to him. Come this way and experience pleasure. And he has this path before him. And the one path, Scripture says, ends in death. And the other ends in life. It's interesting that... You see, there, there's these competing voices. And is not that, that way in our own lives. There's a competition for our affection. Just turn on the TV. Spend 20 minutes watching television and you'll see enough commercials that compete for your affection. If you put this piece of clothing on, you'll be Tom Cruise. You eat this food and you're going to look like Arnold. Oh, you just go to this vacation spot and every care in the world will disappear forever. And it competes for our affection. Time and time again, these commercials tell us, you deserve this. You deserve that. And woman folly screams loud. While the woman wisdom talks, come this pathway, walk here. That's what skillful living is. It's walking the pathway that God has chosen. It's walking carefully. It's looking carefully then in verse 15, how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's taking note of every step we take. Just this past week, I, I got my pedometer so that I can take note of every step I take. 10,000 steps equals five miles. So every uh, step I take up here today is another bowl of ice cream I can indulge in. (laughs) And I'm taking note. It also shows when I'm not walking. So that even if I'm sitting on the sofa watching golf and I'm doing this, it doesn't count. It knows what I'm not doing. What's important is taking note of where I walk. I could walk down the middle of the street and this pedometer is not going to last very long. I walk down the pathway and I'll be fine. And that's what Paul is after here. Walking wisely means I follow Paul's counsel that we read about in the previous verses 3 through 14. Not to walk in impurity, immorality. Not to speak foolishly and crudely. But to live with thanksgiving. To make sure that we don't let anyone deceive us. Don't be partners with the world. But walk as children of light. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of the darkness. But instead expose them. That's walking the pathway of life. That's walking wisely. Walk wisely. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, wisdom, wisdom means I am also understanding God's purpose for my life. It, he gives me wisdom. He, he gives me wisdom to understand not only who He is, but what He has for my life. To understand the mystery of the gospel. To understand as we read in in chapter one. To understand in in chapter three that God has given us wisdom and, and displays wisdom. The manifold wisdom of God through us to a darkened world. That wisdom has a purpose in our life and it's why we're to walk wisely. But wisdom is more than knowledge. It's more even than Bible knowledge. It's The wisdom of God is knowing God. That's what Paul wants here for us. Not to walk as unwise, those who don't know God, but those who know God. It's knowing God, maturing in our relationship with him and walking with him so closely and perceptively that we're able to develop a godly character. Let me read Grant Osborne's quote to you. Guys, you do have it, right? Wisdom is more than knowledge, even Bible knowledge, Osborne says. It is knowing God, maturing in our relationship with Him, and walking with Him so closely and perceptively that we're enabled to develop a godly character, live thoughtfully, and make proper choices in life. In spite of our sinful nature, we are blessed with the ability to make choices wisely. In spite of our sinful nature... We are able to make wise choices. Let us carefully then walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then Paul goes on to say, making the best use of the time because the days are... Are evil. The, the expression here is making the best use of time. It's literally buying time. Have you ever thought, I wish I could just buy a few more hours? And here Paul is, is wanting us to, to make the best use of our time, to buy time, to be able to, to understand the signs of the time, to understand what the time is like because the days are evil. In other words, there's only so much time. These days are evil because we're in the last days. I don't know how long the last days last. But these last days are preceding the return of Christ. Do you remember the parable where the... the, the the parable of the virg- virgins and the, and the oil lamps, where they didn't know when it was going to be time to have those lamps ready. And, and it's a story about the coming of Christ. No one knows when. And so we must make the most of their time. We, we need to live with eternity in view. We need to live with eternity in our hearts. We need to, to understand these, these final days because our final redemption is drawing near But so is final judgment for those who don't know Christ. And for us to make the best use of the time, it's for us to not live in misery, but to walk in ministry for Christ. That's the the purpose of Grace Church. To live for Christ. To live for ministry for Him. To as we read in, in chapter 5 of verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you to, to be the light of Christ because we are called children of light. So let us walk wisely. So the first thing is let us walk wisely, not unwisely. Secondly, in verse 17, Paul tells us that we are to not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Why does he say that? Because here, the second contrast. what does it mean to understand the will of the Lord? To, To not be foolish, I think, and to not live like an unbeliever. To not be foolish, to not live like an unbeliever. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what foolishness is. is to live like an unbeliever. A fool, to live like a fool, to be foolish, is to live as a functional atheist. Even though you may be a professing Christian, if you live foolishly, you live like a functional atheist. You act as if God does not exist. You, you cannot live that way as a child of God. And so Paul Encourages us not to live foolishly, not to live as a fool, not to live as one who is hopeless, not to live as one who is despairing, not to live as one who is in unbelief, which are all examples of atheism. To despair is to live as though God does not exist. I've told you this before, but when you raise daughters, you learn to watch things that you would never watch as a guy. And so I have watched every... Anne of Green Gables show that has ever existed. I know everything I need to know about Anne of Green Gables and Marilla and so on and so on and so on. And in one of the opening scenes, I remember sitting there with one of my daughters watching Anne of Green Gables for the 50th time and... Anne is typical. Anne Shirley, in her expressive way, is decrying this terrible ha- thing that happened with one of the, the cows that ran through the neighbor's yard and destroyed her crops. And, and so she's walking up the stairs and she just looks at Marilla and she goes, I'm in the despair of life, which is Anne's typical way of talking. And Marilla looks at her and just says, To despair. To despair is to be an atheist, is to believe that God does not exist. That's what foolishness is. That's what foolishness leads us to. And so Paul tells us, understand what the will of the Lord is, which is his gracious saving plan for us. Paul is saying, understand what God has done for you in Christ. You will be watching Anne of Green Gables one day. I get to see Paul sitting now. I'm never going to watch Anne of Green Gables. If you love your daughters, you'll be watching. <laughs> if you love your daughters, you'll be watching lots of other things. Understand what God has done for you in Christ. Understand. In chapter 1, Paul told us that we've been chosen and predestined by Christ. In 1.4, he said we've been redeemed and forgiven by Christ. In 1.5, he says that we've been adopted and made his beloved children. In 2.4, he told us that we've been made alive in Christ. And in 2.13, he said that we've been brought near to Christ. That is the will of God for us. That is what we're to understand. That is what God has done for you. You are alive in Christ. These Ephesians were assaulted and they were discouraged and they were challenged by the temptations of a decadent world around them, by the friends and family that they had left. They were ostracized in the community that they lived in. They lived in a city, as you know, that was designed to worship I- idols specifically idols of sexual immorality and they were they were a part of this sexual immorality was drunkenness and orgies and it is this that these believers are tempted to be drawn back into day in and day out. It's not something that left them. They lived in a city. They walked to where they needed to go. They passed by the places they used to frequent when they were getting drunk, when they were involved in immorality. They would be with the people, the family members. And it was this, in the midst of this atmosphere, that Paul is trying to guard their lives. He's trying to protect them. He's trying to warn them. And these warnings are warnings that are specific and clear. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is. The will of God is that you've been redeemed. The will of God is that you are being sanctified. The will of God is that you've been cleansed and set free from slavery. When you walk by that temptation, you can say no. That place of misery that you frequented, you don't have to go there anymore. The temptations that you face now, today, the the struggles that you faced prior to coming to Christ, that someday can be a temptation to you even now, you don't have to go there. You don't have to return to your foolish ways. You understand the will of God. Christ has died for your sins. And he has freed you. You are his beloved children. Understand what the will of God is it's the gospel, it's the good news that a Savior came, that Christ died for your sins, that Christ was resurrected from the grave, that Christ ascended into heaven, and that Jesus will one day return. That is understanding the will of God. And when a temptation that does tempt you to be foolish, you know the will of God is, no, I can follow Christ. I can walk in a manner worthy of of the gospel. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. And Paul even ratchets it up a little bit more and he goes, and do not get drunk with wine, in verse 18, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's that third contrast. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Look carefully how you walk and don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is quoting Proverbs 23, and he's drawing a sharp contrast between the behavior of the unbelieving world with which they just came from, with, with, with the area where they've been freed from, they've been delivered from. Don't go there anymore. Those who have been redeemed by Christ... Don't go back to that unbelieving world. Drunkenness epitomizes the way of darkness. It leads to sexual excess. It destroys inhibition. It leads to debauchery and reckless deeds. And Paul is saying, don't do that. But be filled with the Spirit. And that's Paul's emphasis here. It's not on not getting drunk as it is being filled with the Spirit. And that filling is It's a continual feeling. It's a daily feeling. It's a daily being under, not being under the influence of wine or under the influence of other things, but being under the influence of Christ, being under the influence of his spirit. That's Paul's plea. And we do that corporately. We protect one another first corporately. Paul says Be filled with the Spirit and do this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen, our Christian lives are corporate, our Christian lives depend on one another. This being filled with the Spirit is exemplified by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's really addressing one another in Scripture. It's speaking the truth of God's word to one another. It was such a, a refreshing experience on Thursday night as our small group met. And we have a large small group right now. Soon be smaller but we have a large small group right now and and we're going around the room and we're talking and and it's just one person after another opening their bible speaking scripture to each other speaking in in psalms and hymns and nobody broke out in song thankfully but we were singing to one another in a sense the this truth of scripture we were addressing one another and bringing life to one another through God's word and people walked away from that meeting refreshed not because they were given good counsel but because they heard God speak to them they heard God's voice in the midst of a busy room filled with people they heard God talking to them and when God speaks life life comes about. We are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it happens through our Sunday worship. It happens through preaching. It happens in our small group. And in the parallel text in Colossians says it in a a wonderful way. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That is what Paul means for you to be filled with the Spirit. The authoritative Word in our life is god 's Word, but then he goes on it goes on to tell us to not only corporately be filled with the spirit in a sense serve one another but also individually and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and that 's I, I know of no other place where you can begin to Sing and make melody to the Lord in your heart than to do it through God's Word. Many of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning are based in Scripture. And on occasion we sing pure Scripture. But it's God's Word, pure, read, meditated on, and even sung in our hearts that Paul says just is a is the filling of the Spirit. Our hearts are to be filled with God's Word, songs of praise, melodies of joy. Don't walk. Walk carefully. Don't walk unwise, but walk wisely. Walk not foolishly, but understanding God's will. Walk in a way that you don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Walk carefully is Paul's first encouragement. Secondly, he says to walk thankfully, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving is just a natural overflow of having learned Christ and having our lives anchored in him. Now listen, circumstances, circumstances are never to define the gratefulness in our hearts. Circumstances are not based on what's happening to us. Circumstances are based on what God has done for us. We can't let circumstances define the gratefulness in our heart. Thanksgiving and praise flowed from Paul, even as he wrote this letter from prison. Even as he wrote Philippians from prison. As he wrote his other letters from prison. The horrors of life didn't define Paul. It didn't define his heart of thanksgiving. Brian Chapel says this. He said, We give thanks even for the darkness that makes the glory of Christ's name more evident. Thanksgiving, however, is not for the horrors of a fallen world, but for the name of the Savior that alone can answer and redeem those horrors. Thanksgiving is so important because it's often the last thing we want to do. I know at times it's the last thing I want to do. I, there are just numerous times at certain points of the day where I, I battle being thankful. But I look for little ways. I thank God for the air conditioning in my car because I'm always stuck in traffic in this area. I thank God for heat because in the winter time there's eight feet of snow in front of my window. I thank God that I live in Frederick County because I don't have to pay a nickel for a bag when I go grocery shopping. (laughs) There are so many little things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for salvation because judgment does not await me. Thanksgiving is so important because circumstances can so easily draw us to grumbling or complaining. And we all have our ways in which we can easily grumble or complain. I know, I'm sure for moms, it's cleaning up the toys for the 30th time that morning. It's for guys who come home and their wives ask them to clean up the toys for the 31st time that day. It is times to grumble when we are weary. Times to grumble when we are persecuted. Times to grumble when we are suffering. There are many reasons that we can justify our grumbling. But Scripture never justifies our grumbling. God wants us to be thankful. Philippians 2.14, Do all things without grumbling or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. let me tell you where you can, you can shine as a light in the world is when you are in public and everyone around you is grumbling and you don't grumble. When there is only one cash register open in giant food and the line goes to the back of the store and everybody in line has got wide eyes and red ears and they are foaming at the mouth. And one after another, they are grumbling. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. And people are not only do they do they grumble, but they engage you in conversation and they want you to grumble with them. And when you don't, they suddenly get really quiet. And you say, oh, well, you know, yeah, it's going to be a while, but hey, man, I'm here with you. <laughs> no, we are to be shining lights, thanksgiving then here, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. Thanks is a perfect remedy to keep you from stumbling and help you shine like Christ. There are there are, there are days and days and days where grumbling or complaining is just so easily achieved in our lives. And Paul says, "No, let's let's be different. Let's be different. Let's shine as Christ shines through us." Walk carefully and walk thankfully. How do we do that? How do we how do we practically achieve this pathway that God has spoken to us in these verses. How do we look carefully? How do we walk as wise, not as unwise? How do we understand the will of the Lord and not be foolish? How do we be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine and sing songs? Well, I think the best way, first and foremost, is to get to know Jesus from reading your Bible. Read the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. That's Paul's remedy to achieve a thankful life and not grumble and complain. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Get to know Jesus. Read your Bible. Wow, that sounds so elementary and simple. Yeah, it is. And it's why Paul writes it to the Ephesian church and to the Philippian church. Sing to one another in psalms and songs and spiritual... Sing-, sing truth. Speak truth. Get to know Jesus. But secondly, not just for yourself personally, let's help make the Word of Christ dwell in each other richly. Let's, that's one of the reasons why when you enter in on Sunday morning, we start with Scripture. We read God's Word so that you can begin as you enter into singing, as you enter into worship, which our whole time together is worship. Not just the singing time, but it's the preaching time. It's the giving time. It's the time we spend together. But, but let's, let's let the Word of Christ dwell richly. It's why we start with Scripture. That God's Word invades your soul a soul that has been tried and tempted and wearied throughout the week we want god's word to refresh you it's why we expositorily preach from god's word it's why in small groups we encourage and appeal to you to give counsel by reading god's word to one another let the word of Christ not only dwell in you richly, but try and help others to dwell richly in the word of Christ. And thirdly, if you do regularly grumble and complain, stop. Stop. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining and be thankful. Be thankful. Give thanks always, Paul says. Always. Give thanks always and for everything to God, your Father. In the name of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Help one another to dwell richly in the word of Christ. And stop grumbling and complaining, but be thankful.